Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. features Scott Abel, Director of Quality and Customer at SAV Digital Environments. Scott Abel is an expert marketer, and in his role as the Director of Quality and Customer, he is focused on brand management, marketing analytics, and content strategies at SAV. After graduating from Montana State University in 2002, He worked as an in-house designer of a well-respected ranch and home supply store. Scott then went on to pursue his master's degree at the Academy of Art University, which catapulted him into freelancing at design firms throughout Silicon Valley. After eight years in the Bay Area, Scott moved back to Montana and joined the team at SAV Digital Environments. We live streamed this interview on social media on Wednesday, October 13th, 2021 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed the experience gained and lessons learned while working in Silicon Valley, the importance of brand consistency and how to avoid brand confusion, using criticisms as motivation to grow and improve, building relationships with photographers and videographers, creating and maintaining a social presence. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into the interview with Scott Abel. Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I know our audience couldn't hear you, but I could hear you in my ears like, guys, quiet down, I'm getting yeah. on a podcast. No, no, it's fine. I, I, this is a pretty open environment in our showroom and uh, um, I'm casting in an open environment. We just had two uh, interior designers stop in to say hi and i saw them right behind me and and uh they said they'll be back <laughs> they'll be are you sure we could you know pull out some extra mics and and we'll get i know the have interview. them join us they're they're pretty pretty important to our industry so <laughs> oh amen As amen you you guys have known that for a long time and i Absolutely. know that's one of your one of your strategies let's go ahead and get you introduced what uh uh what is your role who are you and uh for those that may not know who is sav well, great. Thanks, Ron, and thanks for having me. Um, well, my name is Scott Abel, and uh, I'm the Director of Quality and Customer at SAV uh, in up, up in Montana. Uh, it's kind of a interesting title, but it basically boils down to a marketing, creator, marketing and creative director um, with a little bit of other things added in there from business development to uh, creative, web, social, ROI. <laughs> SEO, um, as much as you can. All, all those buzzwords. It is. It's all encompassing. It's a holistic view. I, I love. I by the way, I just I just made the screen. So for those that are listening, I just put the the video full width because I'm I'm noticing all of this beautiful art around you. Can you describe what where you're at and and where is all this beautiful art from? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I I my desk is. Facing this way, I have a big monitor right here, and this is my uh, laptop. And behind me is the foyer, the lobby. Um, all this art. Uh, when we integrated Ketra into our showroom, one of the one of the best things Ketra does is um, highlight, illuminate art and texture and colors 
Um, and uh, one of the million things it does well. <laughs> and so we thought, why not put up some art to, uh, to show it off? And ironically, the art behind me in the foyer is, is just dimmable lighting, which we use with Lutron. Lutron owns Ketra. Uh, but the light in front of me is uh, Ketra. And so I was able to tune the light to this podcast to, uh, to make it the clearest possible for, for visibility. So, yep, that's where all the art came from. And behind me is or technically uh, Ed Nash. He's from Nashville, um, but he's quite popular up in Montana. So, Got it. Well, I appreciate you, you describing that. It looks like you have a great environment to work in. It looks like you guys have a beautiful showroom. It is. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. We, we love it here. <laughs> all right. And SAV, for those that are uninformed and do not know who SAV is. Absolutely. So we are home technology integrator, of course, um, started back in the early 2000s with SAV, Studio AV. AV stands for audio video. So Corey Restad, uh, who started it early 2000s, he, uh, he essentially did that. He installed great studio audio video equipment in homes, um, meaning like home theaters, uh, surround sound throughout the home. And then as, uh, as technology advanced and and people started uh, coining the, the, the term smart home. Um, so did SAV. And so uh, mid-2010s, um, it uh, broke down to an acronym, SAV, and they added digital environments to it. And uh, we're almost talking about when smartphones started coming out. Um, he, started, he partnered with uh, other big firms throughout the U.S. And, um, and then eventually it just it just worked out and became SAV Digital Environments, and that's where we are today. Got it. And where do you guys primarily do work? We are mostly in, uh, in Montana, but our, our, our reach goes as far as the low island you know, countries. Um, the reason for that is because we have a lot of clientele here that have second and third homes that also have third and fourth homes in the islands, um, even the East Coast where actually a lot of first homes are, um, and the West Coast. But we are very fortunate. There's a, a place here called the Yellowstone Club, um, Big Sky Resort, Moonlight Basin, uh, just uh, within the hour away. And it's, imagine uh, uh, maybe Aspen or um, Vail or something like that in the middle of Montana, in a way. And uh, so we have a lot of, lot of people coming here that they want their homes to be away front at home, but still have all the technology and capabilities. Um, so imagine trying to get high-speed internet in the middle of a mountain. <laughs> and so, of course, that's one of the, uh, one of our specialties in, you know, high-end homes like this, security, you know, that's another specialty. And so, it's, uh, it's, uh, just like my role is a holistic, all-encompassing role, um, so are we as a company. So Awesome. Your background, tell us where you come from. I come from here. Originally, I was born and raised in Helena, uh, the capital, only like an hour and a half away. And uh, early 2000, uh, late 90s, I'm going to date myself. <laughs> I went to uh, undergrad at Montana State and got a bachelor's in studio art, um, emphasis in graphic design. And then uh, I was very fortunate back then. There were, weren't too many design or designers needed design studios or designers needed but i landed a, a job at a company called big r ranch and home supply they had a uh, seven eight stores um 
imagine a miniature Home Depot with ranch supplies stuff too. Um, and uh, so they were going through a name and brand platform change. And I was fortunate to jump right into it and work on the marketing team as a designer. And then I was specifically put in, in charge of point of sale, um, in-store signage and banners. And uh, within that year, um, we're going to say it's 2002, 2003 now, they were opening two new stores within that year hmm. um, to reach about 10, I guess. And it's all in the Northwest, um, like four were in Montana, a couple in uh, Wyoming and Colorado. But they were growing, growing fast. And uh, it was like having a local Home Depot owned by local people in these cool. niche little ranch towns in the middle of nowhere almost. Um, but it was, it was needed. Um, all the farmers and all the ranches needed supplies. And so it was, it was, it was very relevant and they grew and, uh, I helped them go through a name change and brand platform change and worked on their current media and expanded into advertising and so on and so forth. And, uh, took about two and a half years and it was successful. And, um, at that point I, I've always wanted to get a advanced degree. So I, decided to move down to San Francisco to pursue a master's in graphic design at the Academy of Art in San Francisco. And so since then, um, Big R Ranch and Home Supply, their name was uh, um, changed into Murdoch's Ranch and Home Supply. Murdoch was the last name of the owner, a very well-respected gentleman here. And uh, mm -hmm. they have, I think, three dozen stores throughout the wow. U.S. now, as far as Nebraska. Highly successful firm. In fact, a couple of them are clients now. Um, it's pretty pretty great. A couple of the directors back then. That's awesome. Um, so success story there for them, definitely. And helped helped get me to you know San Francisco and get my master's. And while I was down there, I, the smartest move I could ever do um, was work for a coffee shop. Because <laughs> you meet a lot of people, a lot of connections. And uh, being a very personable person... Um, I made a lot of connections and that's the same thing here. When I was going to undergrad, I worked for a coffee shop. And, uh, so I started freelancing a little too, while I was in grad school. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a four year program and I was, I was, uh, quick about it because I did summer school all three years and did it in three and a half years. Um, and then I immediately started freelancing and contracting for startups in the Bay area. Um, and these startups were, had clients as as big as Google and Apple and and uh, Pepsi and you name it. And so I worked on a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of big name companies um, and uh, creative for them. And then, but uh, between that, after after I graduated and freelanced a little, um, I landed a internship at a very well respected uh, design firm called Panagram Design and. Uh, it was timing and opportunity aligned. It was 2007. So housing crash, but smartphones coming out. And uh, it was very cutthroat down there. And uh, Pentagram, I, I started as an intern and uh, I worked there as a full year as an intern. And, uh, and even though as an intern, you don't get paid as much, um, especially in San Francisco, I knew it would, uh, it would help take me places. Sure. And it really did. I mean, after that internship was up, um, I just started freelancing and contracting more and more and more, and it was very lucrative. And 
about uh, a year after that, and we're talking 2008-ish, um, got pretty serious with my now wife. And, uh, and uh, so I decided it would be wiser to, to get a more concrete job. So I went back in-house design for marketing at a, a firm. It was a job search engine here. They still exist. Um, they were acquired eventually, but uh, they're still out there. Um, and Wait, I want to interject a question. I, and sure. I remember I started this business. Uh, the origin of this business was called Firefly Design Group. And I launched mm -hmm. it in 07. And I remember that I, I started the company and I went out and I traded in my BlackBerry and I got an iPhone, generation <laughs> one iPhone. I started yep. one Firefly or sorry, Firefly Design Group with, I had, uh, I started with two employees and we all had iPhones because we wanted to be tech forward. That's I great. was curious what it was like to be in Silicon Valley then when, I mean, that was a brand new earth shattering technology. Oh my what gosh. What was that like? It was an explosion. I mean, it was exciting and scary. It, it was a whole bunch of things all wrapped, in, wrapped up in one little package. Um, but I mean, there are people coming out of the weeds. They're just, when I said cutthroat, so many people, the hottest, from my perspective, the hottest thing to get into at that point was, point was UI and UX design. Mm. Um, so user interface and user experience. And uh, it's kind of the, the building the creative aspects of products and, and anything you see nowadays. Um, the experience that people have on phones, um, working close with designers and they are designers themselves. So that was extremely hot. Um, I wanted to stick with my guns. I had a, I had a master's in graphic design. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to be in graphic design. And I worked within marketing before going to grad school. So I knew um, I knew the opportunities there. A lot of, also from my perspective, a lot of creative people that graduate um, and come to the Bay Area or are in the Bay Area uh, want to work for a design firm, um, kind of like I did when I was contracting and freelancing. Um, and uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle down a little bit and work in-house. I have this future wife and um, we're planning a family and I want to be a little bit more solid. And uh, so that's why I landed in-house in design in, within marketing departments. Um, yep. And, and I did that for four and a half years. Um, it was a great job, a great company. Um, the reason I transitioned out is uh, they had a transition in. And, uh, and uh, even though I, I, I kept my role within that marketing department, um, it made me a little uncomfortable. So um, Time to move on. It is, yeah. You know, as as a loyal individual, and I am, I I still I felt like it was time to move on, and um, four and a half years was pretty good there. Then I found a an amazing firm company called Soundhound Inc., which uh, their base technology is user, or I mean, uh, voice AI technology. It sounds like a Silicon Valley startup. It is, is right? yeah. It I mean, okay. they've been they've been there as long as SAV's been around here, um, but. They're considered startups still. Uh, I mean, in a way, they're almost the same in you know the amount of people we have. I think they have a little over 100. We have a little under 100. Um, we have this startup mentality of um, amazing benefits, very close, tight knit, you know, family in a way. Um, 
probably same valuations as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and we have values. And <clears throat> I've worked at or seen places that I've worked with freelancing that they don't have they don't have mission statements and they don't have values mm -hmm. and they don't have brand standards and so on and so forth. And you could see the difference firsthand um, why some places are very successful and why not. Um, especially, you know, take the ego out of it and you'll have more successes from what I've seen. Um, but SoundHound is, yeah, they're, they're incredible and they're going places. They're, they, they're, their base technology was voice AI, but uh, their product was music recognition um, because the world wasn't ready for voice AI in the early 2000s. And so, yeah. Is that the app where you like let your phone listen to the song and it tells you what song that is? Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's it. Oh, yep. That. They're, uh, cool. they're, they're number one competitor. Then they're kind of split different paths in a way, but it was Shazam. Most people know Shazam. Um, okay. Soundhound is the other one. Um, but Shazam kind of went down and I don't want to speak too, um, too much about that because, you know, I never worked there and I just see and you observe like that observe, <laughs> but, right. uh, they kind of moved into TV in a way. They still do music recognition, but also TV. I mean, they also have beach Shazam with Jamie Foxx on TV and, okay. uh, nothing ill towards them. Great company, great technology. Soundhound was the same. They music recognition, but since their core technology was voice AI that nobody ever knew about, mm -hmm. um, they worked on that in the background while becoming popular with music recognition. And uh, once the timing was right, and that was basically after smartphones came out and they were like, all right, within the next couple of years, we need to really launch this product. And they launched with an app called Hound, is a voice, voice app. Um, you can go on it, just like you could do with Google or Siri or whatnot. It's, it's on your phone and it's app-based and you can you know, get directions and a lot of partners and getting, and getting APIs and so on and so forth, like Yelp and stuff like that. You can get results really quick and really accurate and complex ones. Um, it sounds like an awesome company. How, why did you leave? Uh, well, I moved back to Montana. Um, I always planned on being in a large city for about a dozen years. And oddly enough, it was a dozen years in one month. Uh, about two years before we back, my wife and I tr started transitioning back to Montana, um, meaning looking for a place to live, um, looking into job prospects. Um, in the end, when we moved back, we both worked remote. Um, she still works for remote for her company. I worked for SoundHound for a couple, couple few months, four to be exact, as I transitioned out into a role here. And um, yeah, so we always plan on moving back. It's a family and friends and the Montana lifestyle. And what, what is the Montana lifestyle? Well, you know, we planned on, <laughs> planned on what we knew from the past and it's a little bit slower, um, slower pace, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not really slower pace the population is substantially less, but you're still getting, it's a fast paced environment now as well. Not as, not as crazy as San Francisco, but it's, it's nice and fast paced and, um, a lot of career oriented people and socially oriented people. Um, so it's fine. We're used to it. A lot of people from here and still here that stayed here, I can see are not too happy with 
what it turned into, but it's it's changing, right? Because I can it imagine is. a like city folk are heading to Montana to live the the mountain lifestyle. It is, it is. Um, but I mean, put things in perspective. Montana, I think, is like the fourth or four, third or fourth largest land mass in the United States, next to like Texas, California, Alaska. Um, yet the population of Montana, I think, teeters right around a million people. So I lived near San Jose before leaving, and that was almost <laughs> the population of just the city of San Jose. Um, you know, it's been four and a half, five years since then. So things have changed. But uh, yeah. How, so How did you land at SAV? And how did this role, director, quality, and customer, like uh, help us understand how did that evolve? Because I, I, I'm i going to guess that Corey, who, by the way, was our guest on Automation Unplugged. I'm looking over here at my cheat sheet. He was on episode 170. So it was just 20 shows ago. Mm-hmm. I had him here on the show and and people should listen and check that out because it's really a, an awesome story and he's a, a great storyteller. How did you How did you guys find each other? Uh, well, it's, it's a part of my role is relationships <laughs> and, uh, a good friend of mine is a senior sales technology advisor here and he's been here for a long time. Um, and, uh, he, he wanted me to come in and kind of give Corey and the company, uh, my two cents, my take on where they're at and where I, I personally could see them going and what it would take to get them there. And so initially it wasn't necessarily an interview is more of a, a conversation, a very con- candid, transparent conversation between me in the creative world and this, uh, this company that's transitioned from, um, SAV studio AV to SAV digital environments and everything that they do. And, um, essentially they, they had a logo and a word of mouth and, a strong partners, um, and uh, they wanted to take it to the next level. And so I came in and did my research, looked at the industry, and gave them my very candid um, input. And uh, that that conversation started turning into more of an interview. Um, I, I'm sure we both felt like it could turn into that or put it into consideration, but uh, it really started turning into that because Corey really enjoyed what I had to say, and I really enjoyed what I heard about his company and, and his, his values, um, and seeing where the company could potentially go. And so, yeah, started turning into an interview and, and, and then it led into a, a job. <laughs> How long have yeah. you been there now? Uh, four and a half, five years, five years in March. So what, what were the, all right. So you join, you get hired, uh, you have this, this cool title, what is the first things you do? How do you start helping improve their brand or improving their marketing and their overall presence? What, what, what did you think about tackling first? Oh man, that was, I mean, that's a loaded, <laughs> loaded question. There was so much, I mean, right. that, that's what made the role so great is because there was so much opportunity and they already had a presence and people really liked, liked the company. So, um, I was able to take, their history and transition it into a visual and a story. And, uh, and that's what I define marketing is. I mean, I, I have eight and a half years of graphic design and just experience within marketing. And so I had to really, really do my research and really work on, on, uh, all the other skills that it would take to keep this role. Um, because that director of quality and customer 
was was a marketing director and creative director and business development and website and social and all those things in one. Um, whereas the quality kind of relates to that um, creative aspect and customer relates more to, you know, mm-hmm. marketing. And I guess they all work together in a way, but uh, sure. I mean, the very first thing I did was create a brand guide, brand standards, um, colors, consistent colors, um, fonts, uh, photography, imagery, language. Um, and once I developed that, uh, I would, uh, translate it into website presence. They had a splash page. Um, on average, they had about 15 to 17 people visiting it a month. Um, nowadays it's 1500 to 1700 a month. Um, it's been over 10,000 before, um, on, on crazy months. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so, uh, I mean, one of my, a lot of people <laughs> laugh at this, but one of my favorite things I did, and it was very beginning as I took their logo, uh, they wanted to keep the logo. It was good and it just needed some refinement. And I, I put it into the golden ratio and it was off. There's something about that logo that it was, it was nice. You know, I would change things here and there, but we wanted to keep it kind of that brand and see what we could turn it into develop it into. Um, and so I put that logo into the golden ratio and it was all off and I could see why I was bothered by it. Nothing was, mm. it wasn't aligned. It wasn't sent. And if people aren't familiar with the, the golden ratio, I mean, it's kind of like Da Vinci's um, Fibonacci sequence. Is that what it's called? Um, sure. But it's perfection in math, medical, that image that you see with the conch cell. And I was able to lay it in there and almost laid in there. Perfect. And, shift like things ever so slightly to make it just feel perfect. And so that was one of my favorite things I did. Um, it's kind of, it does sound very fulfilling. (laughs) It's Uh, very nerdy, but, uh, um, from a design perspective, it was, it was well, well needed. It it was much needed. And so I want you to, you know, as a designer, you're familiar with, and maybe some of our listeners will find this concept foreign, but, uh, I, I know from, working with designers and, and now having as an agency to, def, to defend our work. A lot of the times when you design something, you'll defend that work to your client uh, or to your, you know, the, whether it's your professor or your, your customer. In other words, you'll, you'll explain it. You'll, you'll help them understand why you're doing what you're doing and answer their questions. How do you defend? Cause I'm going to admit, I'm going to bet, 99% of integrators around the world do not have a style guide. Why should they have a style guide? What's the, the reason they should have those standards you defined, logo, usage, colors, fonts, you know, and, and, and. Why have that centralized or organized in some way? How does that benefit them? Oh, I mean, essentially, having a style guide is a set of rules. Um, and mm-hmm you know, having rules will help you apply those rules to everything that you do um, to help develop that brand into more of a consistent look and feel. Um, So having that guide also helps other people. You share it with people in your company. So if somebody wants to take their logo and put it on a t-shirt and you see that t-shirt later and it's all messed up, um, brand wise, if they would have looked at that style guide, 
even though I don't condone DIY with our brand, if they have that style guide, they could have been like, oh, okay, well, I need to make sure I do this and that so that it fits within the brand. Um, so when you have a style guide, it gives you a set of rules to follow for brand consistency. I've looked, Scott, at clients' websites and their logo will be blue. And then I'll go to their Facebook page and their logo is yellow. <laughs> and then they'll give me their brochure and their logo is green. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and I can keep going and, 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 and I'll like, so help me understand what is actually your logo? Well, like, well, they're all our logo. And can you help our audience understand why that's so wrong in so many ways? <laughs> well, I mean, if there's, if there isn't consistency, it's brand confusion. And so if you see a green logo, somebody somewhere and somebody's used to seeing it orange, they might think, well, is who's this person? Is this somebody else? Is this, are they competing with them? Um, that's just one example. Um, I mean, one thing I do is create monochrome logos, but they're usually kept within the brand guide and you'll have three, maybe four main colors. Um, and then you can create single color logos and you're talking about solid whites, solid black, solid grays. Um, but no solid greens when you have a solid orange logo. Um, so, so you, you just want to avoid brand confusion as much as possible. And that's another thing that brand standards do is they, they keep that consistency so that uh, you can avoid the brand confusions. Question and a high level here, and I'm going to pull up your website in just a few minutes for the audience and I'll put it on the screen. Um, but before we go there, um, what do you define or what, when you think about the fact that you spent this career freelancing, doing graphic design, and then working in agencies, doing design and marketing, and then working for Silicon Valley startups, doing branding and marketing, and you joined an integration firm, you're bringing a pedigree of experience and life experiences and education that's pretty rare inside of our industry. What did you do? I mean, what, and you've been there now for five years and you guys are one of the, the baddest firms in the business. Oh, what led you. <laughs> to your, your success? I mean, in this role and kind of you successfully working with a visionary like Corey in a, in a great business, in a great market, but what's led to the success, your success in this role? Oh, I mean, it's, it starts with that. It starts with the people. Um, Corey and the team here are outstanding and I never consider it my only me in on the team, it, like within the marketing department, um, because there so many successes are due to inspiration or insight, anything from Corey to other team members. Um, so, so it's incredible, and that's where it started, and that's what really attracted me to this this firm and the and the industry. I mean, before I even started, they took me down to a a large. Uh, partner firm Sonance in Southern California and kind of showed sure. me the inside workings of manufacturing partners and speakers. And like, you know, it, it's like speakers. I, I used to wire my own car stereos and, and, uh, and it's exciting and fun and, and ever changing. And so, you know, it, it started with that, but, uh, when it comes to personal experiences, you know, I define graphic design and marketing as, storytelling and 
even though I don't have a degree in, in marketing per se, um, it's, it's experiences and it's listening, keeping an open, open mind and, and research galore and following industry standards or industry, the industry in general, um, in marketing and, and of course, keeping up with creative and so on and so forth. And, uh, so that's, that's really what led me to, um, this role in a way. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's a saying, don't take no for an answer. And, uh, I do the opposite. I did the opposite my whole life. I took no for an answer because if there was a no, I would move on and try something new, um, hmm. whether it be a project or whatnot. And so that's one thing that's always helped me as a personal mantra is like, if that, if it's a no, I mean, you could defend, defend your work. Say it's a, just a piece of work. Um, say it's a logo you're designing, um, as a freelancer and somebody's like, no, 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 still take that no and turn it into, you know, a yes. Um, and, uh, I think that's what will make things more successful. Um, the more no's you get, the more successes you'll have in the end. So what is the role of photography and videography in your marketing, in your branding, in the image that you you and your team are putting forward? That was that was a tough one when I first started uh, because one, getting into clients' homes and getting photos taken is difficult because you're working with a lot of people. You have to get permission from the builder, architect, designer, so on and so forth. And uh, so it was difficult. I ended up being a personal personable person. I, I started building relationships with architects and interior designers and a lot of architects and interior designers, they're so close with clients that they, they will already have photos for their portfolio. So instead of reaching out to like clients or um, stuff like that, I would uh, build a relationship with interior designers and architects and then ask them if they're all right, if I purchased photos for rights in our portfolio, portfolio too. Oftentimes you wouldn't see the audio video, um, security, anything like that. And so it was, I had to start selling a narrative, a lifestyle almost. You see these and people could feel like it could be their home or their bedroom. Um, so I, I would sell a narrative with the photos I would, you know, take or get. And eventually as I developed the brand in photography, I was able to develop relationships with clients and, and of course, um, project managers who had relationships with clients and so on and so forth. And then I was able to start getting into places and get curated photos and run photo shoots and uh, video shoots. Um, but it all, all starts with relationships, relationship building. The imagery on your website is nothing short of maybe some of the best uh, imagery in our industry. Uh, and for those that are listening to the podcast and you don't see the video podcast, uh, you definitely want to go to the SAV uh, website, which is savinc.net. And uh, you want to check that out or you can jump on Facebook or LinkedIn and, and watch this video and you'll see some, some content there on the screen. Um, how often do you do photo shoots? Let's just look at some of the real basics, the fundamentals. How often do you do a, a shoot, schedule a shoot, and do you pre-plan that, or does it randomly happen? 
Oh, man. I'm always planning for one, but it's very difficult to actually get them, of course. In sure. fact, right before this, this cast, I, I was talking to two photographers trying to get them in last minute to a shoot on Tuesday. Um, and, uh, you know, with people's schedules, it's, it's difficult. And, and, uh, and so hopefully I'll be able to land it. But uh, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult. Um, I, my goal is to at least do a video or a photo shoot once a quarter. So every three months. Um, and my takeaway, what I'll end up with is hopefully six to 12 photos um, or a nice video. And so, and so that's my goal. And it mostly mm -hmm. works out every six months. Um, Wes is on our team here at One Firefly, and Wes actually runs our, our Google Ads team. But he says uh, the Project Gallery, and he, he's linked to it here in the comments on Facebook. He says the Project Gallery under residential is incredible. Basically, all of the imagery on SAV Inc.net is top notch. Great work. And uh, I, I completely agree with Wes. Oh, thank you, Wes. Thank you. <laughs> do you work with different photographers? Do you have a portfolio of photographers or do you do some of this yourself? Like how do you, what, like logistics wise, people that are listening or watching and they go, I believe it. I believe this matters. I, what are I, some of the, the mechanics? I mean, if you scroll to the bottom of the website, I credit all of our photographers. You know, in the beginnings, I would credit each kind of photo with a little caption, photo by so-and-so. Um, but in the footer, site-wide you'll be see at the very very bottom uh, uh unfortunately on the page you're on you're gonna have to scroll a long ways because that is a long page my friend yeah Holy because it has, a, has a case studies and stories on them so um, these guys here yep right at the very bottom there and so I'll, i do have a portfolio of photographers that i work with and i have my favorites of course um mm -hmm. but i also need to keep it open because if I'm unable to schedule one photographer, I, I need a backup plan. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of agnostic in a way. Um, but you need quality photography too. Um, at the very beginnings, I, I, I would get photography that was, you know, subpar in my perspective, you know, lighting wasn't right or the, the position wasn't right. Um, but I had to start somewhere. And from there, it's, 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 you also have to eliminate things as you move on too. like, if you get a better photo later, it's all right to toss that one, even though you, you paid for it or you used it in your marketing before, but that's also a, a point. I mean, you want fresh content. Um, things get stale so quick that, uh, if you have a visitor that visits say in January, and they visit June and it's exactly the same, it, it might turn them off. You want to keep that consistency, but you want it slightly different. Maybe it's a photo tweak or a, a quote or something like that, or a new case study or something, something, something excites them um, and keeps, keeps their blood moving. <laughs> what, what role do you feel videography has in your your company's marketing it's tough video video is of course more expensive and it's more more work um 
and, and, you know, getting into a client's home to do photos is easier to get in than to do video. If you tell somebody you want to video their place, they're a little bit more hesitant. Um, Mm -hmm. but video is important. And, uh, just like social media, it's like people, if there's people that don't think it's important, it really is important. Um, it, it is still, it's selling that narrative and telling a story about your company or, mm-hmm. or something you're trying to tell a story about. And I would say that that's the most important thing is, you know, tell a story. Um, one thing that I, I, at my old role is when I was trying to, uh, um, move from art director to creative director, um, my, my, my boss said, what is there that you could work on to help you advance your role? And a few things, of course, but one of them was a very important thing. And that was copywriting. Um, essentially most everything you see, unless it's credited to a, to somebody on there is, uh, written in collaboration with, you know, people that work here, interviewing them and then writing the story. And so that was one of the biggest things I could have ever done is focus and hone in on copywriting and what's good and what's bad and grammar and, you know, mistakes and everything like that. Um, and so I added that to my, my, uh, portfolio, personal portfolio. Um, and it is storytelling just like videos and photography. And, uh, so those three things combined help tell the story to the best of its ability. I, what I'm I'm looking at here on the screen is this beautiful video. Is this a video that you guys produced? It says Ketra, but uh, it, but it says SAV. Is this you guys, or is this Lu- a Lutron marketing video that others can have or use? It is ours. Um, we hired a local firm called CCAT Creative um, to help us do this video. In fact, they're doing two videos for us. But Ketra is one of the most forward thinking future of home technologies out there right now in my perspective voices as well but uh, the lighting of an environment is so pivotal to to the environment and so after we integrated Ketra here um, I said let's let's create a video and a landing page devoted to Ketra and it doesn't show product in there. In fact, it was. A hard I, I just. Sell. I have to let the audience know here. I just watched a full video on Ketra, and all I saw was nature. Mm-hmm. So ex- explain this because it's beautiful. But Thank I you. was actually just. I'm shocked. There, there's no product. There's no, no product at all. Interiors. It's it's all nature. So I mean, if you see the video on its own without anything, it it is probably intriguing, and that's a goal. But it doesn't really tell anybody too much, except for holy crap, this is beautiful outdoor lighting and, and, and being outdoors, um, where it really comes together is when it, when it's seen on the website with the rest of that landing page. Mm. Um, that's the idea behind it. And the idea because of the outdoors, beautiful lighting and sunset and sunrises is because Ketra is a lighting technology that is meant to follow the, the light outside your circadian rhythms, the, the intensities from sunrise to sunset. So in our showroom, I can make the lighting almost like it's a sunrise in here. It's coming up from 0% to 100%, but very low Kelvins, which is very warm 
um, and slowly, and it goes with the sun and it, and it, it, it's tied to your latitude, your longitude and where you are. And so you can create it to go with the sun from sunrise to sunset, the natural progression of our bodies, how we were, you know, before interior lighting was a thing and, uh, interior lighting and technically it's, it's thrown us all off. <laughs> it's, it keeps us up later at night, um, wakes us up earlier in the morning. And so with that automation of that light that is as follows the sun, you, uh, you can create an interior environment that's matching outdoor and, uh, who doesn't want to be outdoor in the light and at all times, imagine having that indoors. Um, and as I talked about catcher earlier, illuminating art and color and textures. And I was saying, that's just one of the things it does. This is another one of the things it does. Um, this follows, follows the lighting and the intensities of the outdoors indoors. Is this video that I'm watching now, is this, uh, again, a Lutron video or is this your video? This is theirs now. So I above put a, created a video that shows the outdoors indoors. And then I put in their video to below the fold. So if people go down below, they can actually see, okay, it all comes together. Now we're showing the lighting indoors. So this is one of their, their videos and, uh, and it's showing the product and it's showing the lighting indoors and the capabilities and lifestyles and feeling. All right. I'm going to rapid fire here because I'm mindful of time and I want to talk sure. about so many things. So talk to <laughs> me about Instagram and how you think about Instagram for SAV. Absolutely. I mean, you do have to follow trends and you have to, you have to follow what works and what doesn't um, research and keep up with the times break a few rules here and there. I mean, I break a few rules, but Instagram is made for photography. And it's, it's meant to show photos the best possible manner so other people could see and react. Um, one way I break a rule is sometimes I will do a larger story, whereas te technically Instagram should have a little quick little blurb about it. Um, and then of course, hashtags and tagging so that uh, it becomes more viral. What I mean there is more people will see it. If you hashtag smart home and I don't have any hashtags on any of my posts, smart home, nobody will ever see them. Um, so, and then when you tag partners, the at symbol with their name, it, 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 it lets them know that they've been tagged in something um, that they worked on with you and people on their Instagram will see you. What's your frequency of posting on Instagram? I mean, I'm going to rapid fire go through the different platforms. Oh, sure. I mean, I wish I could do it every other day, but and honestly, it's like once a week is my goal to post something. And awesome. I want to change it up. I want to show projects, but I want to show people. Um, and then a little things here and there. And um, that's Instagram. So start with beautiful imagery for Instagram. Go from there. Facebook. Mm -hmm. How does SAV think about Facebook? Um, so a rule that I break is a lot of my posting on Instagram will also be very similar, if not exact, on Facebook. Um, there's a lot of firms out there saying, change it up. Don't post the same things you do to everything. But I often do. Um, if it's more socially oriented, I will not put it on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more of a business 
perspective and I'll show more of a business perspective on there. Um, a lot of tagging, a lot of partners talking about projects. Instagram is more for photography and quick stories. Facebook is kind of in between. So you have a lot of the social aspect. Um, but then you have a lot, a little bit of business aspect. You want to show great photography. Um, Facebook is great for putting events on. Um, hmm. For example, this, you know, I, I put it on as an event um, so that people, when they're searching for events in, in Bozeman, whether it be virtual or on site, Facebook is a good way to say, you know, it'll follow trends. It follows them, what they're interested in. If, they, if they're interested in, you know, a mainstream speaker like Sonos um, and we're a high level Sonos integrator and it's something related to it they will see my event. And that example is a few summers ago, we had a, a lawn party that was sponsored by Sonos. And we had a lot of people that show, off, show up off the street only because they were on Facebook searching for specific things and it led them to our event. So, And I'm, I'm noticing that your event link off of Facebook is driving into a landing page. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about just that philosophy? I mean, because that takes work. If you're going to run the event in Facebook, you've now got to go build this event page. Mm -hmm. And it you've does. got, I mean, you've gone even deeper in this event page. It looks like for training for architects and designers, mm -hmm. you've gone out and, and even linked to, it looks like, uh, more detailed PDFs for each of those courses. So Absolutely. it's, I mean, this is really good marketing. And this is also okay. really hard because this is a lot of detail and a lot of time and energy getting this right. But yet you clearly, you and your team clearly say this is worth the investment. It is. And, uh, and, and when people ask me, you know, wow, you, you did that as well. And I define it as not extra work. I define it as my role. This is what you need to succeed the, the company with this, this type of role. And having an in-house marketing and creative, um, and so if you skip a step, it's it, it's not going to be as successful. Um, yeah. And I will create. I mean, blogs are very important, and events pages are very important. What I'll do is on social media, I'll plan. Say, if there's an event coming up, my plan is to have three teasers. The first teaser is more or less save the date and a very minimal amount. Um, I will also put them in my monthly newsletters. Mm. and splash them everywhere possible. And uh, the second post will be a little bit more information. If you tell people too far in advance, it, it's kind of, they'll forget about it. And that's why you do a teaser far in advance. My far in advance is a month and a half max, four mm. to six weeks. And then I'll do another one a few weeks before the event. And then the last one, giving full info about the event the week before or the week of. Like if it's on a Thursday or Friday, I'll do it on a Monday or Tuesday. and. Um, and uh, that will not only attract new people, but it also reminds people that saw the teaser or the save the date. And, uh, and, and all those teasers and save the dates and stuff will have the, a less amount of info. So it's also taking a chance. You know, people want more info. It's, you're, have, you're sending them somewhere else to get more info. But it creates, it creates traffic. It creates engagement. Um, it creates, you know... SEO, um, and SEM and all those little acronyms <laughs> build that, you know, 
that event and so on and so I, forth. So. I want to dive deeper, rapid fire email. How do you use email to reach out to your customers and, and how should those listening think about the utilization of email as a tool? Yeah, you have to really be careful with that because one, most email programs are um, free will. People have to sign up for it. And that's why on my webpage at the bottom, every page says subscribe to our newsletter. Um, I don't want to put too, stuff too blatant because the most important stuff is our work. Um, newsletter is not going to be a gigantic button at the bottom. It's going to people that are invested in your website um, and they, they look at as much as possible will eventually see that. And so, and it is a fine line. I mean, if you send too many emails in a month, you'll have a lot of unsubscribes. Um, I can't take a list of people I know from a carbon or a CC on an email to like industry partners. An example is an Arctic architect will send or a builder will send a, a, a message to all the contractors from AV to, to, uh, to architect to interior designers and so on and so forth. And you have a list of like 40 people CC'd. <laughs> you can't take that list and put You're it in so your tempted <laughs> though, right? You're, You're like, so oh, tempted. that's such a good list, You're but so that's tempted. illegal. That, that's it certainly is. not best practice. Yeah, it's not best practices. And so one way, like when I have events is I'll have a prize giveaway, um, sign up to win a Sonos One and you'll be put on our um, email list. I always give people options too. On that sign, to, sign up to win, that raffle um, says, this is optional. Do not leave your email if you do not want our, our uh, email list. Um, so an example is right now I'm doing two different campaigns, but I separate my, my email list in, in my uh, program that I'm using. Um, one is specifically targeting Crestron home integration. The other one is more general information about SAV, like, um, you know, a project or a product highlight or a, a partner feature or something like that. Um, and like say Crestron, I would highlight that maybe in one of my sections, three to five sections max um, in my personal email. Uh, and I'm now doing two email campaigns in one month. It's a fine line. Mm -hmm. You have to separate them enough that you're not crossing people and they're getting hit week after week. You don't emails. want to burn your list. Exactly. And, uh, and so, and then, you know, you'll separate, like I will go as far as finding out which clients dislike a certain product and make sure they're not on that email list. Mm -hmm. um, unless it's more of a general, did you know the advent or the um, advancements in technology here? It's worth checking out. High level. Do you guys use a CRM for customer relation? What is it called? CRM is customer relations management. But do you use that to track your, 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 your lead gen, your op, you know, opportunities, and all your contacts across your team. It's absolutely. I mean, and mostly the sales department. And I'm I'm technically part of the sales department, but more of a, a support for sales. But I will uh, I will uh, be part of you know strategy meetings and and higher level meetings uh, in regard to sales at SAV. And they they definitely they've um, used CRM for quite some time now. And there's so many different tools. Do you tie, like, you know, on the biz dev side, you're running, uh, let's say, uh, Facebook ad or you're running uh, forms on your website. Do you go to the level of detail of making those forms pipe stuff into a CRM or, or i.e. for full 
100% tracking of everything in your marketing sphere? Or are you got, do, are you not that focused on that right now? Some and some not. So um, right. there's a little that will, and that's specifically anything that is coming through to a, a sales-related um, like email or form or something like that. It will filter okay. through it. But stuff that is, say if somebody reaches out to me via um, social media or, or you know, a marketing at SAV email, no, I, I don't. It comes directly to me and I will, I will uh, gauge the importance and, and everything about that input, I guess. I'm going to hit one more strategy here. We're, we're kind of coming out of COVID and depending on what part of the country you're in, people have been meeting face-to-face for a long time or they're just starting to, but our, our audience is around the world. And um, people at all, at, at, they're at various stage, stages of progressing through this kind of this new state of things. But showrooms are as important today as they've ever been. And certainly they're growing in need and demand as people are coming out of hibernation and they want to go see, touch, and experience this technology. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Lee, and you guys, I understand, have a showroom space. I've never been to your facility. What do you think leads to a great uh, experience in a showroom? Uh, you know, catering it to the the place you are, I guess. Um, and uh, you know, we have some really high end audio here, and we have some high end clientele. Um, so we'll have Macintosh amps paired with Sonos favorite speakers. At one point, we have had Steinway Lingdorf. Um, mm which is super, you know, you're familiar. I'm sure very you nice gear. Yeah. Very nice. Um, but then we'll have Sonos and Sonos is amazing. Their technology is great, but you're yeah. talking a price point of $200 speaker to $2,000 speaker or $20,000 speaker. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's all depending on what the clients want. So if somebody comes in and they're looking for, Super high end. We we can show them super high end if they're looking for, oh man, you know, it's out of my budget or I don't want to go that crazy. Um, give me something more simplified. We have that to show them. Um, same with our, light, our lighting control and shades and shade control and uh, security. We recently had somebody coming here and looking at cameras, looking at, you know, what's our, we have a division called SAV Alarm. Um, which I could get to in branding internally in a minute, if you like, but, uh, um, they came in and they're like, you know, I see these dome cameras everywhere. Do you have any? I'm like, we do. We have three different varieties of them here. And there we have PTZ was a pan tilt zoom. Um, and it'll follow, you know, movement and zoom in on movement. But then we have a standard one that will be static. Um, we're close to a very busy street right here. And a lot of mirrors on cars get hit of cars passing by and Mm. uh, they see cameras in our business and they come in and say, Hey, you know, I see you have cameras. Um, Did you get a recording of uh, the street over here? Exactly. We We used to, we moved the camera down (laughs) because we got too much. And so it's an easy answer. Um, Is, you know, my mirror got knocked off, you know, it's like, sorry. (laughs) I I told you I was going to ask you one more. I'm going to sneak in one more, but we are now, quickly approaching the, uh, the, the hour. Oh yeah. Um, 
the, I, I get this question frequently and I have belief systems, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to lobby them or bandy them about. I'm going to go to you. Uh, I'm an integrator and I'm, I'm residential and now I'm launching commercial or I'm, I'm an integrator and I'm launching an electrical division mm -hmm. or I'm launching a, an alarm division or any combination thereof. I, I see and hear it in every, uh, every conceivable manner that conversation gets approached. Um, what's your belief system of how to effectively do that? And maybe the pros and cons, do they spin that up as a separate brand, a separate business, or do they brand that capability or division under the primary brand? What are some things to consider? Yeah. I mean, first, first things first, if, say you don't have a specific line or division in your company, but it's a, a much needed one. Um, we have a, within our, within our, uh, um, company, we have a team of individuals that do a lot of R and D and, uh, test product. And, uh, I call them SAV labs, even though that's not a technical term for it, but they're a group of individuals that are, that, that play with equipment. Best way to describe it. Um, when it becomes something we will, I will take it over from a brand perspective and how can I market this? And so when I first got here, SAV did have an SAV alarm division, but it was our same circle with SAV in it, the orange one. And instead of saying digital environments at the end, it said alarm. Well, that created brand confusion. Well, who's SAV digital environments are the same as SAV alarm? Who is SAV alarm? And so the first thing I did, and of course it didn't relate to security and surveillance. You look at an orange circle. It does not relate to, uh, you know, security and surveillance. And so I sketched up a lot of ideas and created a more of a security badge related um, design and then created said SAV alarm in it. And then underneath said a division of SAV digital environments. Um, most recently um, our SAV care division, which is client services is such a big part of our company that they kind of, they're like, Hey, what you did with SAV alarm, can you do that for us? And so I did. Um, and I created it, created based it off of the SAV alarm badge, but created it created it as more of a client service. You know, you know, you 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 search, you see check marks, or you see thumbs ups, or you know, stuff like that. Um, and I just started sketching up a lot of ideas that related to uh, a client service type of scenario. And uh, you know, now on our on our SAV alarm page, you have our badge, and you go to SAV Care. And you'll see our SAV care badge, which is um, slightly different. I'm going to scroll for our folks watching the video. Absolutely. I'm going to go to SAV care. There's the badge. SAV care, mm -hmm. savcare.net. And if I come over here to SAV alarm, there you go. Similar badge. Mm -hmm. Similar, uh, but different enough. <laughs> similar, but different enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, Scott, I, I don't want to uh, abuse the opportunity that you've provided us to counsel us on all things uh, marketing and and branding, and and you've uh, very kindly. Uh, well, my mouse is acting weird here. 
No, I think we may just, we're going to keep that on the screen because my mouse does not want to click off of it. No um, <laughs> you, you, you've kindly uh, shared with us your, your, your history and your thoughts on marketing and branding. For those that are, are watching or listening and they want to follow you uh, and or get in touch with you, what do you recommend? Uh, I create an email that comes to marketing. So it's marketing at savinc.net, which uh, luckily on Inst or, uh, all social media wide, I was able to get uh, a, an at symbol for consistent S-A-V-D-E-I-N-C. So S-A-V digital environments, I-N-C. So my, my handle for Instagram is that my handle for Twitter is that my handle for LinkedIn. Well, actually LinkedIn, they don't do handles like that, but they're all essentially the same thing. Um, so, and that, that boils down to the consistency too. So if somebody's wanting to see you on Instagram versus Facebook, you, it's easy to find the same way with the same handle. But, uh, um, so yeah, that's, that's a way to do it on all my, on uh, all of our social media. And then, uh, Email is, of course, marketing at savinc.net. Awesome. And I, uh, I do want to give uh, Keith a quick shout out. Quick, uh, uh, Keith Easterly, Esterly jumped in. He said, Scott and SAV are terrific and valued HTSA members. Working with them was an absolute blast. Sorry, I can't stay here on Facebook, but I wanted to say hello to Mr. Uh, Mr. Abel. Uh, I'll catch this in a recorded version. Awesome. Yeah. Keith. Keith's great. Appreciate you jumping in. Uh, well, Scott, it was a pleasure having you on the show, on show 190, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, and thank you so much. It was great. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.